Before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to tell you about an event that's coming up really quick that our very own Adrian is uh, training at uh, with a couple of other really powerful trainers. Uh, the, the event's called Lodgewell Presents Lodge and Learn. And if you're a business professional wanting to spend time in a super cool city with some super smart people to help solve a super challenging business or leadership problem, then this event is for you. It's in Austin, Texas, June 25th to the 27th. So coming up here really quick. Adrian is joined by Jenny Brittenbauer, who has been a guest on our podcast before. If you've listened to that episode or you know who she is, you know she is a powerful, badass founder. She founded Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She's the she's currently the founder and CCO of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She has so much to offer to uh, in the coaching context and the supporting and mentoring context for founders entrepreneurs and business owners. We'll also be joined by Mark Edwards, who is a part of our organization, Take New Ground, and also has an organization of his own called Founder 911. Think about this, three days packed full of powerful content from these trainers uh, and these powerful human beings. It will be you and 15 other people in a room workshopping your very own leadership and business obstacles, problems, opportunities. So if you want to be one of the select few that are part of this workshop, there's a link in the description of this episode. Go click on that link, get registered as soon as possible. Seats are limited. They're going to go fast and we can't wait to see you in Austin. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. As usual, I'm joined by Dan and Adrian in this episode. In this episode, we have a guest that I cannot wait for you to meet. Uh, his name is Michael Davidson, and he is the CEO of Gen Next. And this conversation is just filled with knowledge and wisdom. We paint the entire canvas with this conversation. We are all over the place, but each part of it is so good. I couldn't believe the time had passed as quickly as it did. My favorite thing that Michael says in this conversation is living a legacy is more important than leaving one. Ooh, that's, that's just a tiny taste of the goodness that you're going to get in the, in the coming 45 minutes. As usual, if you're up against something with your team or in your leadership roles and you want to have a conversation with us about it, there's a link in the description of this podcast episode. Go ahead and click that. Reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Now, let's get into it with Michael Davidson. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chad. I'm here again with Dan and Adrian. How are you, gentlemen? You're doing great, man. Glad to be here. Doing very well this week. Thanks. Awesome. We also have a guest with us today, Michael Davidson. Michael's the CEO of Gen Next. And uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I've heard so much about you from Adrian. You guys have known each other for a little while. But I, right at the top of this conversation, I want to give you just a moment just to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, what you're about, and maybe just briefly about what Gen Next is. Oh, Okay. Uh, well, thank you guys. This is a, it's, this is a big honor. I've been, uh, I've been a listener. I always take away nuggets, uh, that just, that either kind of leave me sort of, uh, uh, very introspective, maybe sometimes a little weepy just to make it feel like making it like I'm not raising my game, uh, but also some good practical takeaways. So 
thank you for giving this contribution to the world. Um, so yeah, my name's Michael. I'm, uh, I'm a father of four and, uh, my wife and I have four awesome kids, an 11 year old, two, six year olds, and, uh, my son's almost two, my youngest. Um, and I think I'm, uh, it's interesting, just the idea of, uh, trying to explain, describe oneself. And I think I'm just a, a person who cares a lot about, about freedom and opportunity, uh, over time. And I just, I, I think it care deeply about, um, my role in making the world a better place, uh, starting within myself, to my family, to my business and to society at large. So I think that that's probably something that, um, that summarizes me a bit. And then in terms of Gen X, it's just, uh, that it's in the name. So we're, 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 our mission is to set up future generations for success. And, and a lot of that is really making sure that, that we set ourselves up for success. And I don't mean success is defined in kind of modern materialist uh, sort of way. I think, I think success in terms of knowing what one stands for, knowing what values and ideals, what, what that one wants to advance, um, knowing the power and influence that, that one has and using it for the greater good. Um, and so we work with really influential uh, people and I use influential different than leadership. I know, and I think in y'all's, one of y'all's first episodes, we had this awesome discussion about all the different ways that one could talk about leadership. Um, and so I won't rehash that here, but I, I think of it as more so people in positions of power and influence. Um, how does their own growth as an individual, how does their own pursuit of kind of sense-making of values and issues um, really translate to uh, social, cultural uh, progress over time. And so we're, we're a place that tries to be an institution that, that does that with those types of people. I, you know, I was thinking what you said made, was actually inspiring to me about the next generation succeeding. And prior to that, you said, you talked about freedom and opportunity, that that's something you stand for, like a legacy over time. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what is it that you see personally from your work as you've worked with so many different generations or people in the next generation that preserves freedom and opportunity? Let me even, um, uh, well, I could give you, a, I mean, I'll give you a few first, but then I want to elaborate because I, and what I want to elaborate on is I actually think it is interesting to see what are the, the sort of qualities and characteristics of, of young people and future generations. But I actually, I am more concerned with people in positions of power now. So adults, in other words. Uh, and so I'm more concerned with adults than children uh, in terms of, of, of how uh, they're initiating generational progress. What are they paying attention to to try to borrow from years past? What are you trying to bring forward? Uh, what, type of what type of example are we trying to set uh, for future generations? And so some of it is just the example, sort of like, what do you, what do you stand for? Um, and other things are what type of opportunities are you trying to, are you trying to create in terms of uh, issues you try to tackle um, to sort of pave the way for them? And so, uh, so I think of it from, from that lens, but with backing up and to sort of answer your question, I think there's, uh, I think one of the places to start, which is I think a theme that y'all are contributing to, which is you call it self-mastery, personal responsibility, um, being the master of one's own ship. And what does it take to do that? Um, 
And I only see, I see a lot of that today, but it's, it, it feels performative a bit. It's, it's in, um, you know, a bit of a more virtue signaling. I care about X, but the sort of effort and the process um, you don't see as much of. It's really just sort of the taglines. Uh, so personal responsibility, self-mastery is one. Um, I think a second one is an understanding of ideals and values. I would probably put it another way, like developing a worldview and you're really thinking about what matters to a person. And that's, that's going to be very dynamic. It's going to be an extremely dynamic process to, um, it's going to happen in different settings and circumstances. It's going to happen at different points of time. You know, at one point in your life, you might care a lot about say, uh, liberty or at another time you might care a lot about equality or sometimes you care a lot about ambition and sometimes you care a lot about patience. Um, and so, but it's, it's trying to see, you know, where your own value system is developing and mirroring off of, of, of your own sphere of influence or society at large. And then I think um, thirdly, and I'll shut up because we're talking about generational progress. So this could kind of go on and on. But I think thirdly is also just thinking about posterity, like, like, you know, having some sense of uh, future self, uh, future society, what are we leaving as, as a way to sort of hold oneself accountable um, to it. We did a, we did this, we did this conversation with uh, uh, our community, I had a conversation with Stephen Pressfield, the famed uh, novelist, he's, he's a brilliant. Uh, but we were talking about ancient values and the hero's journey, and we were talking about some of the most triumphant and accomplished civilizations throughout time, uh, what they wrestled with that we might have lost um, in this sort of modern era that we might want to reclaim. And some of the things that stood out to me were, one, a, a, a bit mirroring what I just shared, but one of those is there's a sense of self-mastery a sense of like, I have meaning and I need to use that meaning for good. There's a sense of interest in posterity, uh, really always thinking about uh, what, how they'll be judged by posterity. And then three, always wrestling with values, um, you know, just what matters to a person. Um, and I don't know if we do that a lot. It's very difficult to talk about what matters to people right now. People are very nervous to talk about ideas. But also, I don't know if people are very uh, informed about ideas. And so not only is it difficult for them to talk about from an emotional sort of pressure standpoint, there's also an element of people being a bit unprepared in, in, our, in our society of like scale and metric and, uh, and passion and action. Uh, there's not as much. Let me just stop and think a bit about what, I, what, what matters and what, what stand for, what should we do together? Um, so I know I just, I think I gave a lot right there, but, um, these are the things that when I think of freedom and opportunity, these are, the, and, and what to put in motion for future generations. And so far as I can, those are a lot of those things that cross my mind. So, so Michael, uh, said something like that at a lunch about five and a half years ago. And I said, whatever you're doing, I'm in. <laughs> right, seriously that's <laughs> no. a nerd alert it's more like that nerd nerd alert. Alert. <laughs> of course like oh wow oh my tribe here it is oh yes oh yes great musings about what matters most oh wonderful i've been waiting for that my whole life thank you very much <laughs> i love it 
I love how you talked about um, what I heard was making decisions and, and valuing things based on how generations will perceive us afterwards. And, you know, this is something that I talk a lot about. I call it the legacy mindset. Mm. Um, yeah. Some, you know, having our legacy, the legacy that we're living, live, leaving in this world in mind as we're making our day-to-day decisions, how we spend our time and our money and who we spend our time with. And um, I'm wondering from your perspective, and you, I think you give, you, you can give a really unique perspective being involved in Gen X for so long, dealing, um, being able to rub shoulders with so many different leaders. There's just, I'm sure there's a wealth of experience and knowledge within you that um, as you come across leaders who make decisions based off of what I would call the legacy mindset or, or how they're leaving the world for generations to come, how does that tend to how do they tend to make their decisions differently than maybe leaders that are just thinking about here now growth, me profit, that sort of thing. What, what kind of differences can you draw when you come across those, those types of leaders? Mm. Uh, one is they tend to wrestle with their purpose more than most and just constantly going back to that. I think it's different you know, a lot of them might articulate it as first principles. I'm just, I go back to first principles, you know, especially sort of tech land uh, introduced this a lot, but I, I, it's not just first principles in terms of like, what, what are the design principles of whatever project you have vis-a-vis your business? It's more like, I think of it more like value system of what sort of pre empirical. Um, and I, I sense that they kind of wrestle with that a lot. And so they might ask themselves, um, you know, rather than thinking, oh, I want a core, I, I want a business that uh, is fun and innovative. They might ask themselves, like, my, how can I have a business that is, um, you know, compassionate and lasting and bold? And so they I just ask, trying to ask deeper questions, I think, is, is one. Um, Two is they do kind of try to map this out of, okay, if I adhere to this principle, what are going to be the implications to the people around me and, and to myself? Um, and so there's, a, there's an element of sort of for thought and then for sight that they bring to it. Um, there's also an element of humility because you're going to know that you don't have that. You're, there's also an element of you're, not, you're going to know that you can't answer everything and then there's an element of personal responsibility that um, I'm going to be a change aid. I can't control everything. Um, and a lot of things have happened to me uh, that are outside my control, but I'm going to do the best what I have. So this sort of sense of personal responsibility. And then just one comment, I noticed that those people tend to be a lot happier. They just joy, a joyful people. They have more fun. Um, I think they, they know sort of where they, you know, can fit in the arc of sort of history and they, um, or just like in, in the grand scheme of life, that life can be big and they're grateful to be here. Uh, and so they're a lot happier because they're less fixated on these kind of quickly moving, fleeting, transient things like status, reputation, power, money. Um, they, they see beyond that. All those things are means to an end and the end is infinite. And because it's, it's very values and vision forward. So that's the tend of what usually sets apart the, 
impactful ones, but also the sort of enjoyable ones. Because there's a difference. You could be impactful, but not enjoyable. And you can be enjoyable and not impactful. And so I really have tried to find that space of like, you know, how do you be the so-called man in the arena, a good citizen, a good person, and set a good tone and have a good time? Um, you know, make sure that life's meant to be lived. So live it, live it well. And those, the, the, the good ones tend to see, you know, they tend to kind of uh, capture and expand those types of uh, sentiments and ideals. You know, it's interesting because freedom is such an offensive concept. You know, it, it's, um, I, was, I was reading the other day, Seneca, I brought the quote up. He says, I have set freedom as my goal and I'm striving for that reward. And what is freedom, you ask? It means not being a slave to any circumstance, to any necessity, to any chance. It means compelling fortune to enter the list on equal terms. And on the day when I know that I have the upper hand, her power will be not. When I have death in my own control, shall I take orders from her? I mean, he is, there's so mm. much. When I, I grew up in a pretty classical. I love that. And, yeah. And the whole idea of freedom is kind of even back to Frank, you know, Benjamin Franklin said, you know, you, you have this liberty. Now, can you keep it? Yeah. And it really requires, if you think about it, I think the first thing is, like you said, self-mastery, mastering my ability to, you know, life's going to happen to me. And the freedom, the expression of freedom isn't doing what I desire. It's doing what I know what's right or I know what's necessary for that future that I'm committed to, regardless of the emotional experience being approved of or disapproved of, you know, liked or disliked. In fact, the somebody who stands for freedom, I think is often in an age of uh, self, self-focus self is offensive. Mm. Because, you know, there's such a tension between freedom and, and safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which ones... And there's, and there's, uh, and there's a tension between, uh, you know, for, uh, what people, I think, often espouse as freedom. Um but it, it often is devoid of duty. Yeah. And, and so, and so therefore it seems freedom can be degenerate, can degenerate to this, uh, this sort of like um, impulsiveness yeah. um, or indulgence, you know, yeah. as opposed to this very, very special ideal that one in a personal experience, a private experience will, could help you navigate extreme adversity, you know, a la Viktor Frankl, uh, man search for meaning and he's in a concentration camp and he realizes the only thing he controls is his own mindset um, to, I mean, y'all have, I mean, you just named Seneca. Um, and so the ancients have those, but we are, and Benjamin Franklin, I think y'all have talked about Frederick Douglass and other episodes. Um, yeah. Connelly's arise, writes about this a lot in, in growing up and, um, and, and what her parents taught her about her own capabilities at a time of pretty horrible oppression. Um, and, but appealing to just like, you have an opportunity to grow, so grow. Um, but then that's the, the personal sort of private experience, but it translates to social and generational progress. If a people collectively uh, embody these ideals of sort of self-determination, self-government with a sense of duty. And historically, that's what the American experiment was all about. And that's when we've been at our best. Um, so it become, you mentioned that it's controversial sometimes, which totally breaks my heart because 
this idea of freedom, broad-based to sort of fight for as a collective human struggle uh, has been timeless, but we haven't been free as a human species um, more than we've been at this point in history now. And that was because it was thought about, it was fought for, it was pursued, people engaged in it. Um, remember you know, from, generation, from generation what they learned. Yeah, every, civiliz every civilization across time and space, it doesn't matter where you were. Um, no. There's a lot of history of oppression and control and division. Uh, and I think until, until the sort of uh, 18th century, it was a, you know, the, this, this light idea started to emerge that people can be sovereign and uh, live freely you know, if John they Locke, protect it. John Locke makes this interesting distinction. He says, there's a difference between liberty and freedom. You made the distinction, right? I'm free to, to follow my passions and do whatever I want, but then I'm actually not free. I'm a slave to my passions. And he, mm. he uses an example. He says, liberty is like you take a bird and you open up the cage, he's set free. Liberty is what he decides to do with that freedom. Oh, I love it. I, I know I it's that. really stuck on that. I read it in a George Eliot book and, and it just, I was like, oh, that's a beautiful metaphor, right? He, yeah. she, was she was talking about Locke's ideas of freedom and liberty and that to set somebody, to for somebody to be liber at liberty, they're aware of the impact they're gonna have on the world. Life just doesn't happen to them they happen to life and they're clear mm -hmm. about what they're committed to having happen to life, regardless of what they get served up. Like, so. Where do you think that, where do you think that, um, where do you all think that breakdown has occurred in modern life? Like where should that, th this, these ideas and values should be taught in many different places. They should be taught in the home. Um, they should be taught at school through civics education, but also just character education. Um, they should be reinforced in every institution you can imagine from uh, church to other nonprofits to business. But it, it does seem like there's this sort of um, collective dissonance from these, the, the sense of sort of claiming one's rights and meeting those rights with a sense of responsibility and duty. Uh, one, because it's the right thing to do, but, but also as a practical matter, it preserves these rights when you, when you, when you meet it with both ends. Where do you, where do you guys uh, see the breakdown the most, or where do you feel like there could be a lever to sort of uplift and get, get other entrepreneurs, especially because since y'all deal with business people to really think about this and, uh, and be these types of, uh, leaders of, of depth and values and purpose, where does it, where has it gone astray and where can it be corrected from y'all's point of view? Well, um, good question. A uh, question I don't have a direct answer for yet. I mean, I'm thinking here as you're asking it, thinking, where has it? I mean, um, so it connects with some of what you were talking about earlier, how it hit me. So what I naturally go to, what competes for our attention, right? Mm, so that's great. Right? Yeah. So, so what else? And so if that, if we want that to be happening more, what is is happening instead now? Um, and I was thinking about this when you were talking about there are people that live with legacy and legacy, you know, live committed to the future and actually are present now and can enjoy themselves. That's a, a unique paradox um, to be both there and here simultaneously and they don't compete they actually feed into one another. They're both from they're both from the same. They're both from the other place. 
you know, is another way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Like my future comes from here and here comes from my future like that, like simultaneous at the same time. And, and what are people doing instead of that? Well, they're living now to merely survive and wait. They think that the future waits for them to show up to it. Mm-hmm. And so, so they'll follow their kind of short-sighted, I've done this in so many areas of my life during different times, I've followed a very short-sighted agenda as a way to really protect myself and survive or to just get my own, get whatever I wanted. You know, so it's like a self-indulged, self-focused endeavor so that someday I can, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll do this now. And they usually justify a whole bunch of stuff. I've got to do this so that someday I can, which is just a survivally mindset type thing. Um, it's so interesting that there's a survival mindset. You know, and some people are really having a hard time, but sure. I noticed that there's a survivalist mindset among many others who don't, who have a lot of, uh, a lot to be grateful for. <laughs> they have a lot of gifts, a lot of bounty. And it's just interesting that we, we live at the most prosperous time in the most prosperous country the world has ever known. Yet we are acting like uh, the stakes are extremely high, and uh, and they're not good. And so, but I, and I loved your point about well, what do you pay attention to? That's a really good kind of mental checklist. To anytime um, you're sort of helping appeal to someone to see see beyond and see see the role in it of just give, doing an inventory of what do you, well what do you pay attention to? I, I, I'm I'm thinking this for myself right now. It's like. I actually have to stop and think to make sure yep. that I could answer that question accurately, you know, with integrity. Wow. Yeah. You asked that question, what occurred to me was, what has taken me off and caused great suffering in my own life? Mm. And, you know, mission always masters thought. You know, it, it, whatever, my, whatever my mission is, whatever my motivation is, it masters my reasoning. And I, I, what I, I learned this, it's a neuroscientific principle, right? The human brain comes up with an intention or, you know, a, a re- something it wants to accomplish. Then it starts ordering its thoughts. And when I was a young kid, I was a, you know, I, I, I've talked, we've talked about this stuff, but I came out of the streets and, you know, I, I, I came out of a middle-class American family, rebelled, and then just got myself in all kinds of trouble, drugs and all kinds of things and lied to my wife, lived a double life. And I'll never forget that what turned me around was my son, having my son. Uh, and I realized that if I didn't get my mission straight, I, I wouldn't have him. I'd probably be dead before I was 30. And when I got clear about that, my life started ordering itself. I started all of a sudden, I was interested in who God was. Never heard awesome. of him. All of a sudden, I was interested wow. in how I could contribute to the community. And then I started thinking, the greatest contribution I have are my children. How can I build character into them? How can I get them to think for themselves? Not teach them what to think, but how to think. And I, we homeschooled them a lot. And I took them through a very rigorous self-government program. And I, I have this training called The Revenant that we're going to start doing again but it's all around self-government. It's all around just experimenting, but taking responsibility for what it is you want to have happen in each moment and then taking whatever comes up and going again until it starts to show up. And I think of all the things in my life, and then when I see the society, 
when the mission or the intention is self-service, we have cowards. Mm-hmm. And then when the mission or the intention is bigger than oneself, you have the hero's journey. You have somebody who's still afraid, but it's worth giving themselves up. You know, yeah. it's worth taking the risk. It's worth living for, and it's worth dying for. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. The essence. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I had a, you, you kicked up a lot for me. Um, and I, I love your point. Mission masters. That's a real, <laughs> I love that a lot. Chat, uh, chat, how about you? How about me? Where do I feel like yeah. it breaks well, down? Where, where, yeah, where does it break down? And, and where do you think the, well, I was, the redemption well, my thought went to Yeah, my thought went to me personally, where I could, I could track back. You know, I, had, I feel like I, through my life, I had windows of opportunities to recognize where I wasn't taking self-responsibility for my freedom, my liberty. But I don't think it was until... Um, <laughs> until my, I was ready to walk away from my business um, because I had allowed it to control me to take, to take control of my life. And it dictated who I was as a husband and who I was as a father. Um, and that breakdown drove me to hiring Adrian unknowingly that this guy would come into my life and kick my ass into choosing personal responsibility so it's interesting to me that as a, wow, how old was, I was probably 27 at the time, 27, 28, uh, running a pretty successful film business um, by my, by comparative standards of the industry. And, um, but even at that point, having been able to build that, have a family, be married at that point for almost 10 years, uh, nine years, eight years, and hadn't learned how to take responsibility for my own freedom. Um, and, and I, I think, man, it it was all over the place. I mean, I, I grew up in a home where not much was required of me. I was the youngest. Um, there wasn't a lot of conversation, thoughtful conversation around, what we create and what opportunities we take in this life. I, you know, my dad, I grew up with a dad that said, we're just unlucky. That was kind of our, (laughs) that was kind of our thing. Like our family is just unlucky. Um, So you just kind of take your hits and whatever. Um, And I think, I mean, I grew up in a public school system that didn't require you to take a lot of personal responsibility. I mean, I could slack off for most of my, for most of the term. And then, you know, the last three or four days, Hey, say, Hey, what, what makeup work can I do? Uh, that would allow me to go home with a grade that I won't raise any eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a victim to those, but I just, I, did, I don't feel like I had opportunities that were right in front of my face to say, Hey, take a look at this. Here's what you can create. So I don't know exactly where the breakdown is. Um, but man, I'm grateful to be in the work that we're involved in. I'm incredibly grateful that uh, I had a friend at some point in the industry say, Hey, uh, I know you guys are up against it. Hardcore with your business. You might want to talk to this guy. Um, And that Adrian took a risk. That's the other thing that the, that comes. Adrian taking it a risk on chat. I think big risk. Apparently he froze up after that. (laughs) To his point. Yeah. To his point. He's back. Chad's back. 
You back? Go ahead. Go go again. Tell me how to, how Adrian took a heard. risk on you. Yeah, what was the risk Adrian took? Because it's tough. <laughs> Uh, well, the risk that Adrian took was that, I mean, he didn't know me from Adam, but he was willing to, to state the things that were true or, or at least the things that he could say that, or see that, that might be true. That would be really hard for me to see. Um, and that would require me to be, um, open and transparent and, um, not look like I have everything together. Anyway, I don't want to go on forever, but I think that, that role of somebody who's willing to take a risk with you. Um, and, and say the things that are most difficult to say is really pivotal in recognizing, oh, where, where could I have taken more responsibility from my life? Um, yeah. you know, it's funny when you say that about Adrian, that is the mark I, he left on me the first time mm -hmm. I met him. And even through all the stuff we've been through, he will just say what he sees. And I, I, know, I honestly feel loved. Like he'll, he speaks to the bigger me. And, mm -hmm. and it, so he can say almost anything. You know, if you, if you wrote it down, you go, well, that guy's a dick. <laughs> you know, but, but the way he says it, it's clear and it's aligned with what he knows I'm committed to. And it's one of the, I, I have to say, I'm 65 years old and I love working with these two guys. Yeah, for that reason, both of them are that way. And we yeah. have some intense conversations, I'll tell you. I love that. I was, you know, when, when I was starting, Y'all are making me think about a couple things, if I may share. Um, um, one, when you talked about the dominance of the sort of love of your son, uh, having to make you, you know, love yourself and love your role um, in, in life, love your mission. And when I was, uh, I have very early memories of wanting to be a great dad and not really knowing what that meant, but just, I, had, I have early memories of that. Um, and when my first son was born and the same emotions kicked in with each one of my uh, kids being born. Um, but I like, I, I, I hit, I hit a pretty kind of serious sort of uh, I guess depression after my first son was born because I was so intimidated uh, by what will be required of me. And I felt unready. And, um, and so the more that I just wrestled through it and, you know, loved him like crazy and had a blast, um, and knowing that I have this tremendous, you know, re most responsibilities are opportunities, uh, maybe all are, but in that case it really was. And so as I worked my soul and my, my to, to get my soul out and all this ego protection, self-limiting belief stuff out of my head it started to be, I was able to be more present. I was able to be more fun, but I also was able to teach and uh, set example. Um, but it, it definitely kicked I me mean, when my, when my, with the second pregnancy ended up being twins. And so twin girls. And so I was like, Oh my gosh. And then my youngest um, he's adopted. And so it was this very similar type of like, am I ready for this uh, sort of thing? And it's like, you're here. Of course, you're ready. It's already happening. They're ready or not. And so that was a big thing for me. And so I thank you for sharing because I, it does like it, you know, you could, it, it's a lot, you could solve a lot about the world by seeing it through the eye of a parent. Um, because it really forces you to put into perspective. What example do you set? What are you trying to set up? Like, would you tell your kids to do this? And if it's no, then it's clarifying. So the, the mission clarifies. And then the other thing 
when I was starting out with Gen X, I had never been around. I mean, our, our, our community are all very accomplished people by statistically speaking. Um, and I was ne- not really around that much uh, growing up at all. And so here I am, uh, pretty young, idealistic, social entrepreneur, and I'm around all these like basically kind of rich, powerful people and, because this is who I was talking to to sort of sell this dream of generational progress and 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 leaders carrying the mantle, um, you know, being that vanguard of opportunity and prosperity. And I was, this was in two, this was in the mid early mid two thousands, and I had to meet a lot of people that really disappointed and disenchanted me because they were way more consumed with their wealth and status. And when I talk about living a legacy is as important as leaving one, a lot of the thinking was very much like, you know what, that legacy stuff. Yeah. I'm totally planning on doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a lot of money away later in my life. I'm going to, um, you know, Oh yeah. I cut some checks here and there. And, you know, I do that. It's like, Whoa, no, I'm, I'm talking about like, how do you integrate this value system? How are you part of the great conversation about how, how we should live as, as entrepreneurs, as, as champions of free enterprise and democracy and, 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 and freedom and opportunity how are you relevant to that conversation? Do you know that you're relevant to that conversation? And most of the time it was like, uh, no. And so in many ways, that sort of pre-financial crisis was a bit of those roaring 20s of uh, taking a lot for granted. And it, it really made me very concerned about the future of the systems that create opportunity, but also a breakdown. It's like, where's the, where are the examples uh, going to come from? If people are just delaying purpose versus it finding ways to weave it into their lives um, now, I, I think you I think you so eloquently describe the the tension that that somebody goes through. I, I, I mean, I was relating to everything you were saying. That tension of am I willing to be dominated by something I care about, and what are the costs of that? Like, do you think mm-hmm. about it? When I was a when I was a drug addict and a de- and a criminal, I, I was always getting myself off the hook. You mm. know, I was a victim of this. I, in fact, I ended up. My first book was called "Killing the Victim Before the Victim Kills You," and mm. and you know, I I noticed that I always had a reason to justify the thing I said I really didn't want. And when you talk about that, I remember the struggle. And when I got clear with Danny, and like you said, when my daughter was born. And all of a sudden, my wife is a different human being. Uh, our whole lives started to transform. I'll never forget my wife said to me one day, I, she was mad at me. She said, I think I like you better as an addict because I wanted mm. to make a decision. I want to be part of the trench. And I started laughing. And she goes, I guess it's my time, my turn to, you know, to rehabilitate. And we just <laughs> got really tight. And uh, my kids are now 34 and 37. And wow. You know, I just got to say to any parent out there, if you're invested in your kids, it never ends. It never ends. The You feel every step they take. You know, it's like, and, and I think that struggle to be dominated, I think people, people are afraid of that. I know right. I was because it takes over your life. All of a sudden, me having everything I needed wasn't as important as me giving myself to my children and to the work that we were doing. There just seemed to be something much more rewarding. I mean, I would give up things that normally I would feel cheated if I couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, I, remember, I used to hate coming home. 
And then after I got my head realigned, I looked forward to get home. I got all of a sudden I was getting regenerated by just hanging out with the kids, playing with the toys. Yeah, I mean, it is so true. I mean, all these little kind of plat, those little maxims of, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And it's just like, you know, be the change you want to see at home. I mean, I know this and my wife would probably tell you all day long what, you know, when I'm showing, if I'm burned out, tired, yeah. um, you know, from the day and I'm, and I'm at dinner and I'm disengaged and, you know, I'm a downer, but if I snap out of it um, and, and muscle through that momentary adversity, uh, so-called, uh, all of a sudden we're having a good time. There might be a dance party at the house in, the, in a matter of minutes. If we just got to get through it, but a lot easier, a lot easier said than done, but it's a good reminder and it is that it's possible. I came, I came home from a trip one time. I was all, you know, ornery and upset. And I opened the door and my wife, I go, I start yelling and she goes, pushes me out the door, goes, we're going to do a do-over, slams the door. And then opens the door, honey, so good. Then, <laughs> oh, I, man. I was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And he just, <laughs> we do that a lot. We do takeover. It's called do-overs, right? I'm going to try that. I'm going to yeah. try that. Time out, do-over. My, my kids are like the same thing. We, we have a thing in this training we do called the nerd chart, right? And uh, we, we would identify each other's nerds. Mine, of course, is a drama king. So if I started doing something dramatic, my daughter at six years old would go, oh, dad's on the warpath, take three. You know, just stuff like that. And she would, they would do things that would break the state. And we played with each other like that quite a bit. Mm, I love that, yeah, nice. Michael, this has been amazing. This hasn't been near enough time. So oh. uh, please come back, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would it. love to know, I mean, we covered so much ground so quickly <laughs> and I'm so grateful for all of it. I would love to just give you a few minutes um, at the end of the conversation here to make sure people are aware. How does all this stuff that we're talking about, um, this legacy and, and it, you know, everything that we've been running through, how does it apply to the fabric of Gen X? What is, I mean, how does Gen X embody this, some of this philosophy that you're talking about and so much of you? I mean, I just, again, I could, I could listen to you for hours, um, but I do want to give you this, just this opportunity to talk about how all of this is related. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, thank you for asking. It's, it's absolutely integrated into, into, into who we are, you know, at different points. And um, um, I think it's just, it's just a, it's a leadership class that we're trying to build. You know, you have all you have an intellectual class, you have a political class, all these classes, and I think uh, uh, trying to build a, a leadership class so that that I think really just means individuals who are trying to understand what um, has really mattered to human flourishing, um, what and and how to raise the tide for all ships, and that often means that personal growth is usually in the context of some deeper sense of, of values and ideals, not just kind of basic human performance. Um, it means that you build a sense of community and relationship because, you know, social scientists would call it social capital, but, uh, or political scientists might call it social capital, but it's really just like, look, who you surround yourself with matters <laughs> and who you're in community with uh, and, and the access you have, the relationships you have, these things all have to move together for the greater good. Um, and so, and that's it. And so that all these values, all these ideals are woven in, it's, it's based into not just our culture, but it's, I mean, we're, 
we're it's basically our business model. Our it's basically our our bit major strategy of just find incredible humans with a lot of influence. Most of the time, what's interesting, which is another conversation, they don't realize how much influence they have um, at all. And so part part of the conversation is sometimes just helping them be aware that they have this uh, that they have this influence, but then create an experience that allows them to build friendships and relationships and connections to needs in the world and uh, put, help them journey with them in developing a, a strong value system, uh, uh, things that are going to awaken their own legacy, and then see how that translates through the network about all the different areas where they could go uh, be an agent of good things in the world um, just by taking that act of, of seeing through and beyond uh, and being more of a generational type of leader. So that's, um, that is us. So it just doesn't matter. It's like, if, if you're a badass entrepreneur who's made a ton of money and you're kicking ass and everything, I don't care. Um, I think our culture celebrates that way too much. If you're a badass entrepreneur who takes a stand on political issues, I also don't really care. I want to know, have you like thought about this? Have you felt this? Have you challenged it? Have you brought people along? Um, that is what starts to inspire me. The things that takes the things that take longer to do alone, and the things that take longer to do with others, are really where the magic is. That we're as a modern society of sort of just um, railroading in a way, and we need to we need to we need to surface that uh, to help our our leaders, our people in positions of power and influence, just do and be better. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just add, uh, brother, thank you, Michael. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for your commitment to Gen Next. I've benefited from it. I think I'm at five years-ish or something in to being a part of the community. So thank you for its investment in my life. Um, you know, I, I think uh, as I've been listening to themes throughout the conversation, you know, we, Gen Next does, I think this type of thinking does, we take the gamble. I'm, I'm calling it the gamble. Because faith is always a gamble. Faith takes faith, right? It, it's a risk. What if I don't control things? What if I'm not ruled by fear? What if, I'm, what if I don't look out for only my ass? What if I wonder about someone else? That's the faith conversation. What if I give of myself? What if I die for the sake of something worth having? Like that's a faith conversation. Those, that's the undercurrent, not religious at all, but the undercurrent question and really possibility that I think Gen Next champions the type of thinking, the type of being, the type of acting, the type of investing, the type of integrating, all that type comes out of this, like what could happen if we give of ourselves, which is, I think, the core of where the, the, what happens when, when freedom is there, that type of question happens. And then that when liberty is there, that type of action happens, I think, to use your analogy earlier, Dan. Mm -hmm. So I've benefited from it, from just generous people that live out of faith instead of fear, they want to influence others, want to give of themselves, want to, you know, undo their dogma, redo it, you know, you know, recon, you know, reconfigure themselves, reconstitute themselves over and over again for the sake of meaning now, for the sake of a family that's connected now, for the sake of, you know, a story that'll be told by my grandkids, grandkids, all that right now and right here. Mm -hmm. So thanks for the stand of Gen X in, in the U.S. and the globe and honored to be a part of it and Love you, man. Thanks for your work. Yeah, I appreciate you, Adrian. I love it. All right. Thank you. Man, for, awesome. Thanks for- Let's do it again. Inspiring conversation, man. You got- Yeah. Say when. Let's, uh, let's, let's go deeper down some of these rabbit holes next time. I love it. I'll talk to y'all later. I, I, I got an idea I want to reach out to you. I'll, 
I'll get your email from Adrian. Awesome. I'd appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.